Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. We're going to continue our series uh, this weekend called Follow Me. And if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 3. That's the only place I'm going to ask you to turn to, Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start there. We're going to finish basically there. And I know going into this message, some of you aren't going to like the the direction that this message goes. Because remember, this series is about following Jesus. there, There were some places that Jesus went during his time on the earth and when Jesus made the declaration, and we talked about this two, two weeks ago, when he said, drop everything you're doing and follow me. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus, is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Follow me. Everywhere Jesus goes, we are called to go. Now it's fun to talk about that when, when it's, it involves victory. And I'm going to follow Jesus out into the battlefield and we're going to be victorious. That's great. But when you hear the title of this weekend's message, some of you are going to be mad at me. And I already know, okay? But remember, you're not following me, you're following Jesus. I didn't go here first, Jesus did, all right? So Matthew chapter 3 is the beginning of Christ's ministry on the earth. His three-year season of ministry on the earth, Matthew chapter 3 starts it off with a bang. Let's read it together, Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, John said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened up and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy or in whom I am well pleased. That's a great induction into public ministry, is it not? I mean, I would have loved if the first day God called me to Scottsdale, the heavens would have opened up and a voice shouted out from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended upon That would have been a great way to start my first day in Scottsdale. I hate to burst your bubble in mind, but it didn't really start that way. But for Jesus, it did. This is how his ministry on the earth began. Now watch the very next verse. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then, after this unbelievable moment, then... Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Don't hate me, but the title of this message is Follow Me to the Desert. Follow Me to the Desert. Well, wait a minute, Preston. It just said that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. That's right. But when I think of the word wilderness, I think of the places I like to go hunt out in the middle of nowhere. 
trees, grass, you know, a pond, a lake, a river. When the Bible talks about the wilderness, Holly and I had the chance to go into the area of wilderness where it's believed that Jesus spent these 40 days and 40 nights. And I learned something while I was there. I saw no trees. I saw not one blade of grass. There's no water. This is the most deserted place on the planet. This is not a wilderness like you think of the wilderness up north in Flagstaff. This is the dry and weary, nothing lives out here desert. And I want you to think about this from Christ's perspective for a moment. Because I know Jesus probably didn't think this way, but let's just put ourselves in Christ's shoes for a moment, okay? You're, you're Jesus. Now, don't go home if you're married and walk in the door and go, honey, I'm Jesus. It's not, it's not going to work. I'm, you're just pretending right now to be Jesus, all right? Christ starts his earthly ministry with a bang. God shouts out from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. An incredible start to ministry. And if you were Jesus, you know you would be thinking this, because I would. Father, what are we going to do to follow that up? I, I mean, really, what's going to be our first stop on the tour of ministry on the earth? We're going out to battle, aren't we? Father, you're going to take me out to battle up against thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of warriors, and I alone am going to wipe them out, thereby telling all of the earth, I am here to do business. Just imagine God saying, no, no, that, that's not the first place you're going to go. Okay, okay, you're going to take me to the home of someone who has died and you're going to resurrect them with your power through me. That's, you're going to give them a preview of coming attractions, aren't you? Someone's going to be resurrected from the dead. That's the first stop. No, no, that, that's not the first stop. Well, well what, am, am I going to be rescuing a kitten from a tree? What are we doing first? Just then the Holy Spirit says, follow me. Starts walking out into the desert, the middle of nowhere where nothing survives. And imagine if you were Jesus. You look around. Now I know Jesus wasn't thinking this, most likely, but if you were Jesus, you would have been thinking this. How am I going to start this worldwide ministry out in the middle of nowhere? How's this going to happen? Well, I have really good news. And in this message, I'm going to teach you four things that you need to understand about deserts. So that if you ever find yourself in one, you know how to get out of it. Here's point number one. And this is something, if you were Jesus, looking around the desert thinking, why am I here? If you're in a desert right now, asking God, why am I here? Understand this first point. If you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. Deserts make surprisingly good launch pads. Deserts make surprisingly good launch pads. The desert was Christ's launch pad into public ministry. 40 days and 40 nights, fasting out in the desert, the middle of nowhere. And if you were Jesus, you know you'd be saying to God, why am I out here? And here's how I know. Because if you're in a desert or if you've ever been in one, 
you know you've asked God, why am I here? And if Jesus would have asked the Father that question, I could just see God the Father saying, I know, isn't it great to be out here? It's about to go down. Right here in the middle of the desert, middle of nowhere. It's, it's, it's going down. I could just see if you were Jesus going, what are you so excited about? We're in the middle of nowhere. Listen, the Bible says exactly what God is so excited about in these desert seasons. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. God rejoices at the beginning of new seasons. But here's the big question. When does a new season begin? When does a new season begin? I want you to think about your interpretation of seasons in your life. When does a new one begin? Let me give you my answer to the question. If you're taking notes, write this down. A new season begins the moment you leave the last one, not the first moment and the next one. I'll explain it in a second. I'll repeat it again, though. A new season begins the moment you leave the last one, not the first moment and the next one. Most people think that the desert is a season unto itself, but it's not. Here's how you know. Does the Bible talk about Christ's 40 days in the desert as though it were a season? No. His three years of ministry is a season. But his 40 days in the desert was just the beginning. See, oftentimes, new seasons can begin in nasty deserts. But see, we think about desert seasons like this. Desert seasons come in between one good season and another good season. Listen to me. Some of the best seasons in your life might just begin in some of the worst deserts you ever see. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 18 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know what this means? The next time you find yourself in a desert, and if you're there even right now, you should be getting excited. Because some of the most divine work God does is in the middle of the desert when it seems like no one is paying attention to you. Christ's ministry begins in the desert. Yet many of us gripe about the desert seasons of our lives. Shockingly, though, deserts make surprisingly great launch pads for new seasons. That's point number one. Here's point number two. Deserts are the perfect place to tackle temptation. Deserts are the perfect place to tackle temptation. Think about this. Why was the Son of God led out in the desert? The Bible clearly says to be tempted by the devil. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the devil comes to tempt him. Why? I think the answer is simple. Because the desert is a place where things go to die. The desert is a place where things go to die, which means... 
It's the perfect place. Desert seasons are the perfect place to kill that which is trying to kill you. Listen to what James says in chapter 1, verse 13. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone to do wrong. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The desert is the perfect place to kill that which is trying to kill you. And the devil is always trying to tempt you with the number one thing he knows he could get you with. Desert seasons are the perfect place to tackle temptation. Here's how you know. Would you rather tackle temptation on a stage in front of everybody else? Would you rather tackle temptation at the pinnacle of success when everyone's watching you? By God's grace, he takes you through these desert seasons and says, hey, there's some things that are trying to attack you. Let's go out into the desert. Let's go out into the back 40 and let's kill them. The desert is the perfect place for things that are trying to kill you to be killed by you. But you might be saying, God, why is this desert season lasting so long? It shouldn't take this long. What's taking so long? God, why am I still in this desert after all these years? I'll give you one possible option. The reason this desert season may be lasting so long for you may just be because you have chosen to feed your flesh in the very desert God has commanded you to fast your way through. But isn't it amazing when we go through desert seasons how quickly we long to feed the flesh? We're out in the middle of nowhere. It seems like no one's paying attention and we, we make excuses like this. Ah, it doesn't really matter right now. I'm frustrated. Who cares? You know what? Maybe this gets God's attention. We start throwing out all kinds of excuses. Those are the worst things we can say in desert seasons. The wisest things we can say are things like this. What needs to die out in this desert? What are the things I keep playing with? What are the things I keep being tempted by that I need to kill in this desert? Listen, the desert is the perfect place to tackle temptation. Here's the third thing you need to understand about deserts. Deserts are the perfect place to prove it. Deserts are the perfect place to prove it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Now, I want to ask a, a kind of a random question. It doesn't matter if you're married or not, but I just want you to think about this question. When is the perfect time to prove you have a great marriage? I want you to think about that for a minute, whether you're married or not. When is the perfect time to prove you have a great marriage? If, if I would have asked before this question, how many of you who, that are married feel like you have a great marriage? Would you just raise your hands? That would have been great, okay? But here would have been my follow-up question. 
Okay, prove it to me. It's great that you can raise your hand, but prove it to me. How do you prove that you have a great marriage? Better yet, when is the perfect time to prove you have a great marriage? Well, let me tell you the answer. The perfect time to prove you have a great marriage is not on the honeymoon. It's in the middle of the desert. Any fool can woo you on a date, but only a godly person can wow you in the middle of their desert. Think about this for a minute. The perfect time to prove you have a great marriage is when you're going through difficulty. It's easy to be gushy and ooey-gooey when everything is awesome. But what do you look like when things aren't so awesome? Everybody loves to put their pictures of their honeymoon on social media. Look at the beach we went to. Look at the awesome restaurant we just ate at. Look where we went on our honeymoon. Look how we went parasailing on our honeymoon. All of that is awesome. I love seeing pictures of your honeymoon. But you know what I'd really love to see? I'd love you to Instagram your next fight. You want to prove you have such an awesome relationship, let the whole world watch on Facebook Live your next fight in the house. Who has a great marriage now? Yeah, if we're looking at honey, honeymoon pictures, everybody's throwing their hands up. Woo, I got a great marriage. But if we were all watching via Facebook Live during your next fight, I don't know that we'd all be saying you have a great marriage. Listen, listen to what 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says about God and him watching in difficult seasons. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It can be read another way. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth for those whose hearts are fully committed to him in order to strengthen them. Facebook Live might not be watching, but God is. God is watching how you handle the desert seasons. He is looking for those who are fully committed to him in order to strengthen them. He looks over the whole earth. You know what? It's pretty easy to spot somebody in a desert who's fully committed to God. But it is even easier to spot someone in the middle of the desert who is dominating the desert. Do you know the difference between someone who is wandering through the desert and someone who is winning in the desert? How do you know if you're dominating in the desert? I'll give you the answer. You know you're dominating in the desert where Jesus has led you when you don't see the desert as a desert. You know you're dominating in the desert when you see the desert as one part walkway and one part workout facility. The desert is designed in one part to help you get where he's led you to go, where he's taking you, calling you into your destiny. But also, just as with the Israelites, where the desert was the place he walked them through on the way to the promised land, 
The desert is one part workout facility so that he might strengthen you that when you step into that promise, you can stay there. You see, God doesn't need you to prove your love for him. I'm not saying that. I would never say that. That in the desert, you have to prove your love for God. I'm not saying in the desert seasons you have to prove your love for your spouse. What I am saying is the desert is the perfect place. The desert is a far greater place to profess your love for your spouse than a date is. Dates are awesome. You should have a date night every week. You should profess your love for one another every week. But it's easy on date night to profess love. It means a lot more in the middle of the desert. It's the same with God. He doesn't need us to prove our love in the desert. It just happens to be a wonderful place where we can prove our love for him. The desert is the perfect place to prove it. <laughs> I said this last night and it shook some people. I've never, I've never told you this before, but I have a special power. It's a really special power. And you might have this power too, but maybe not. This is a special power. I have been given the ability to discern people who are wandering or wallowing in the desert from people who are winning or dominating in the desert. This is my superpower. You didn't know this. Let me tell you how I use my superpower. Because you can use it too. If you ever want to be able to discern people who are wailing or wandering in the desert from people who are winning or dominating in the desert, here's how you exercise the power of that discernment. With one simple but powerful question. How are you doing? It's an amazing power. That one question, here's what it does. Someone who was wandering and wailing and floundering in the desert answers the question, how are you doing like this? Fine frustrated. I'm frustrated. Just bothered. I got so much going on. I was doing 10 times what everybody else around me is doing. Been in a desert season for the last couple of years. It's ridiculous. Couldn't get my favorite parking spot this morning. Opened up my lunch sack. Tuna was bad. Bread was moldy. Look at the trials and tribulations I'm going through. This is hell on earth. That's the way someone who is losing in the desert, that's the way they talk. But someone who is dominating in the desert, when you ask them, how are you? This is what they sound like in the desert. I'm fine. Going through some tough stuff right now. But you know what? Even though I can't stand the desert I find myself in presently, some of the most beautiful and special moments in my relationship with the Lord have come in deserts in the past. And I don't know how God's going to get me out of this, but I look forward to the day where he and I walk out hand in hand together. I don't know how it's going down, but I know it's about to go down. And while I'm not happy about everything that's going on, my trust and hope is in God, not in my surroundings and not in my circumstances. Listen! How do you answer the question, how are you doing? Because last night I learned a lot of people answer the wrong way. 
because I could feel the venom in the room. Like Preston, you're embarrassing me in front of my spouse right now. Right now. I'm not embarrassing you. God's just exposing something. Listen, if you think you're going to get to heaven and God, the God of the universe, is going to come up and ask you, hey, how's it going today? And you think you're going to answer by saying, well, these streets don't look very flashy. And I'm a little disappointed in the gate. I was expecting it to be way bigger than that. And I'm not walking through that. I've, I've been waiting all my life to walk through a big gate. That looks like a sheep's gate. Get me a big gate. Listen. Listen. You can always find something to gripe about, especially in the desert. But let me help you understand something. The more you whine in the wilderness, the longer you will remain there. The desert is the perfect place to stand before God and say, I'll follow you anywhere, even here. And if you're not leaving here, I'm not either. I'm staying until you walk out. The desert's the perfect place. While we don't have to prove it, it's the perfect place to prove our love and commitment to God. And here's the fourth thing. Deserts are the perfect place for pronouncements. Deserts are the perfect place for pronouncements. The word pronouncement in the Bible means a formal or strong and authoritative statement. A bold declaration. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Now, I have a phrase that I'm going to share with you that might not make sense to you at first, but I'll explain it, all right, because it sounds weird. It's kind of like one of my things, uh, when I read the Bible and the Lord just drops a bomb on my face with the word, the way I'll describe it is, that's nasty, okay? And people will hear me say that and they'll go, the word of the Lord is nasty? No, it's, okay, it's a play on words, all right? Don't get literal on me. In the same way, don't get literal with what I'm about to share you, okay, with you, because it may not make sense to you at first. Here's my phrase, and I've used this for years. Don't fight fair. Play dirty. Play dirty. Here's why I, I use that phrase. Because the Bible says that as believers, we are to be as shrewd as serpents. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. The serpent you're fighting against never plays fair. So why should you? Especially when God says, hey, I need you to be as shrewd as serpents. If he's going to play dirty, you play dirty. What does that mean? Break biblical rules? Of course not. It just means don't walk into a battle with your enemy just going, oh, it's so good to see you. No, no, no. If you're going to advance, you've got to be aggressive. Oh, how are you? God bless you. That's not how you talk to your enemy. That's how you talk to people when you greet them at the door. But that's not how you greet the devil. I'm going to give you three ways to fight dirty in every desert. And I'm telling you right now, these three things are going to annoy 
every enemy of God and you in every desert and every palace you ever find yourself in. I'm going to give you three pronouncements, all right? Because we saw the key in Matthew 3. We're going to read it in a second out of Isaiah. But the desert is the perfect place to shout something. John the Baptist comes into the desert and he's shouting, make way for the Lord. So I'm going to give you three things to shout in any desert season of your life. Here's pronouncement number one. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. That's a pronouncement. Anytime you see in scripture, thus saith the Lord or the Lord has spoken. That's a pronouncement. Pronouncement number one. One of the smartest things you can shout in every desert. Jesus is coming. When I was in high school, I went to a small Christian school in Texas called Shady Grove Christian Academy. All right. I don't know why people always giggle when I say Shady Grove, but they do. They, they, they always laugh. Uh, I guess it's a weird name for a school, but I thought it was awesome back in the day. We were the Shady Grove Saints. <laughs> that was our mascot. All right. But even though we were a small high school, we had about 120 kids in our high school. Our basketball team, which was half of my family and coached by my uncle, no joke, we were a team not many big schools wanted to play because it was like David going up against Goliath. We didn't care who we were playing. We, while I was in high school, we never lost one district game. And some, including the newspapers, might have said, this school dominates this district. I don't know. That, I'm quoting that actually. <laughs> and, and our gym was small. It sat about maybe 300 people. And it was not even a regulation court. And the walls were literally this far from the out-of-bounds line. I mean, this was a crackerjack box. It was annoying to people. Our opponents would come in, and it was annoying. But here's what every opponent we ever played while I was in high school came to, to learn in our gymnasium, that something during their time there was going to annoy them beyond measure. And it wasn't some hot scoring streak our team went through. They would find out as everyone who came to that gym did, that the most annoying thing that would go down in that gymnasium was a cheer. It was a sound. You know when you go into other people's gyms, the cheerleaders have like the same cheers, you know? We are proud of you. I said, we are proud of you. We are proud of you. I said, we are proud of you. I mean, they all read from the same cheer book, right? And if you're really gonna, gonna play dirty, you got to distinguish yourself from all the cheers in the book. And so here's what our opposing uh, teams and fans learned when they came into our gym. At some point during the game, somebody in our side of the stands, out of nowhere, would start out by shouting these words and this sound. Shady Grove, Shady Grove. 
it was like immediately the hounds of heaven woke up. And now more, usually the freshmen, would be next, saying, Shady Grove, Shady Grove. And then the parents would get involved. Shady Grove, Shady Grove. And everyone is now annoyed. <laughs> and I saw many a team go on tilt because they were so bothered by this dumb cheer. Can I let you in on a little secret? The next time you feel knocked down in the middle of the desert where the enemy has you down on the mat and he's stepping on your throat and he's counting to 10 to knock you out of the match, please, as he begins to count, one, two, three, four, five, before you let him get to six, with everything that's in you, can you please annoy the fire out of him by shouting out, Jesus is coming. Don't let those three words be weak to you because they are three words that annoy the fire out of the enemy. Jesus is coming. You may have knocked me down. You may think this is over, but I got bad news for you. Jesus is coming coming and there is a voice shouting in the wilderness in the middle of this dry desert where I'm frustrated where I'm knocked down Jesus is coming listen to me you don't whisper those words you shout them in the same way that everybody in that gym will get annoyed by that cheer all of hell gets frustrated when you shout and pronounce Jesus is coming. Here's pronouncement number two. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 20. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. God gives water in the wilderness, not so that you can perceive his provision. God gives you water in the wilderness so he can receive your praise. The desert is the perfect place to praise. The next time you feel like whining in the wilderness, worship. And here's what you'll learn. This is my favorite one-liner of the message. When you learn to worship in the wilderness... Do not be surprised when you find yourself departing the desert by the end of your song. Too many of you are looking at me in the face. You should be writing that down. It may not come in handy today. The next time you find yourself in a desert and you don't want to sing, you don't want to praise, you need to remember when you learn to worship in the wilderness, you shouldn't be at all surprised when you find yourself departing the desert by the end of your song. Why? Because the desert is the perfect place to praise. And here's the third pronouncement. Satan, you lose. Jesus is coming. Praise the Lord. Satan, you lose. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you, and this, I believe this is a prophetic word for those of you who find yourself presently in a desert. You need to not just listen to these words. You need to receive them as from the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 
And after you have suffered just a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now this is my, next, my, my favorite part, this next part. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you know that the desert is one of God's favorite places to exercise his dominion? The word dominion means supreme or sovereign authority. All power, all authority. Dominion. When we hear that word and we think about Jesus exercising his dominion against Satan, this is their first encounter. And one would think, oh, I mean, there's going to be a battle. Jesus against Satan, this is the first time during his earthly ministry where they're coming together. They're going to fight it out. And Jesus is going to have to prove he can dominate the devil. First impressions are important. Jesus, you better, you better dominate. Listen, we think about dominion as something that is proven in battle. But I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 4. And I want to read you, after the third temptation of Christ, I want to show you what real dominion looks like. Verse 10. Listen to what Jesus says immediately following the third temptation. Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Verse 11, then the devil went away. That's dominion. No fight, no shouting and screaming. Satan, get out of here. Listen, the devil has no authority over God. The devil has no authority over Jesus. The devil has no authority over the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says, get out of here, the devil must obey. That is dominion. And if you want to play dirty in the desert, you shout at the top of your lungs in your prayer closet every time you feel knocked down. Jesus is coming. Praise the Lord. Satan, you lose. These are not cheesy catchphrases. And if you think that they are, the devil has robbed you of walking in the power of these pronouncements. Jesus is coming. When hell hears that, every one of them begins to tremble. Praise the Lord. Just when they expect you not to praise in the middle of this desert, you choose to praise. It frustrates them. And then when you remind them, Satan, I've read the end of this story. You lose. When I gave the title of this message and you heard that it was follow me to the desert, some of you might have gotten a little bit upset. You may be in a desert right now, and you may be saying, I hate this place, Lord. It feels like you've deserted me in the desert. I assure you, he has not. The God of all grace, with all power and all authority, is with you in the desert. And the desert is the perfect place for him to exercise his dominion on the earth. And he loves to use what looks like your downfall as the perfect opportunity to exercise dominion. The next time that you hear Jesus say, follow me to the desert, you can trust him. He's not leading you there to die. He's leading you there to kill some things that are trying to kill you. And when you come out of this desert, if you're holding his hand, 
praising when everybody else thinks. You should run the other direction. You're going to see the dominion, the ruling, sovereign power of God in your life and on the earth. Here's why. You can trust Jesus the next time he says, follow me out into the desert. It's not so that he can desert you in the desert. It's simply because something divine is about to go down in the desert. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Matt's going to lead us in one more song. And if you find yourself in a desert season right now, when I'm done praying in a moment, I don't want you to think about anything else. When everyone in this room stands, if you find yourself in a desert, I want you to leave your seat. I want you to come pray with somebody at the front of this room. I'm not going to draw any attention to you. But if you find yourself in a desert, I'm going to give you a great piece of advice. Prayer does powerful things in the darkest of deserts. Come pray with somebody. Don't fight alone. And for the rest of us, so we finish this service with one more song of worship. I want us to war, not just worship. I want us to pronounce these things in the middle of this desert that we live in, where everybody says, <laughs> it can't happen like that in the desert. God moves like that in the Bible Belt, not in the desert. The desert is a dry place, and the rivers of God don't flow as well in the desert as they do everywhere else. The devil is a lie. We're going to worship and we're going to pronounce. Our God reigns. Jesus is coming. Praise the Lord. Satan, you lose. You lose in every area of my life. You lose on every street corner in this city. You lose. May the power of God rule and reign, not just in this church, not just in our homes. May it rule and reign in the city of Scottsdale and every city that's a part of this valley. Why? Because our God does reign. And the enemy's been defeated. Satan, you've already lost. Praise the Lord for victory. Jesus is coming again. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for every person in this room as we worship God, would you take our worship and turn it into arrows? And the arrows that Ephesians 6 talks about fly through the air, the fiery darts of the devil. May they be quenched, not just with the shield of faith, but may they be quenched with the sound of our worship, with the word of God as we declare our God reigns and the enemy has been defeated. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you stand up and let's begin to worship right now. And if you're in a desert, come pray with somebody. Come on, don't wait. Come pray with somebody. Don't slouch back. Don't just, well, who's going to go forward if you're in a desert? Come pray with somebody. It's the perfect place to pray in this season. For the rest of us, let's declare. Let's worship the Lord and let's fire some darts right back at the enemy.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.